We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. Uh, I'm Jordan Cooper, uh, aka Blender Edge. Blender HD, if you want to follow me there on Twitter. And it's the start of the week. So, you know what we do on Mondays? It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool from Pay Dirt DFS, the co author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. I see you guys in the YouTube chat as always. Feel free to, I'll wave the thumb at you. Give me those thummy thumbs early in the morning. Thummy thumb in while you're in through the door. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. The notification bell to know when we go live. I'll be on later later tonight for the, the showdown uh, pre-lock show. But uh, I see here in the YouTube chat, CJ Welch. Good morning. He says, I want to thank you for all your videos on lineup HQ and GPP strategy. I was new and got the optimizer week one. Well, yesterday got second in the 150 max mini max for 7,500. Oh, can we find hey, that? Nice. Let, let's see. Let's let, let's see. I, I didn't, I didn't know about this. Let's see that they've been updating results DB throughout the entire morning. So it's been a little slow. The mini max. So the 70, the 150 mini max. Is that the doll? I mean, I can't play those contests. So which, which ones would they, do we have this? Do we have it in here even? So 50 cent one the 50 is it a 50 cent 7500 no that would be second so are you camden's dad if you're camden's dad that's 7500 right minimax 7500 so we got it so uh justin herbert plus mike williams plus jared cook with kareem hunt as run back so that's a three plus one then uh then you got jamar chase demont Devontae adams Secondary correlation. And then you play uh you play Kadarius Tony. You play Alexander Madison and the Vikings defense. 
a third correlation, and Kadarius Tony is a one-off. Beautifully constructed lineup. I mean, you get you can't you can't get any better than this. Obviously, you could get three, you could get seven points, seven point one one points better and win more money. To win these contests, two fifty-eight. Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's three hundred fifty-six. This is the this is literally the hardest contest to win because of the three hundred fifty-six thousand entries. I mean, if we take a look. Uh, let me open up another results DB window. Let me take a look. It's all by field size, not by price. So, like the the milli, the twenty dollar milli has two hundred thirty six thousand entries. The play action has five hundred ninety four. So that would be the hardest contest to win. So yeah, two hundred. Like this is more more than the. Like it, do 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 I want to do the thing where I go and if you played this lineup in the milli, how much would you have won? You, you probably don't want me to do that because I'm. No, assuming we never we never want that. 258.52 in the milli. No, would have came in second. Okay. There you so, go. Right. So Nikon and Cormer would have won. But you would have came in second. But that's still 150000 But that's also a $20 lineup, not a 50-cent lineup. Uh, he also wouldn't taken down the power suite. Yeah, obviously. It's a small, entry, small entry stuff. That's a different story, of course. I'm just talking about if you're playing large entry stuff. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I... I you. You can't you can't build a lineup better than this, right? Because I mean, you the fact that you were able to get three different, four different correlations. What we got the one, we got the two, we got no. The fact that you got three different correlations in and still have high projected players. I mean, I mean, there you go. I mean, I mean, Kareem Hunt was good for the four percent ownership. Uh, Mike Williams for the three percent ownership. I mean, these are the two guys that probably did not project all that well, but not like low, low, but just in comparison to other people in their price range. But the fact that you're getting them at 4% and 3%. So that's perfectly fine. You know, Madison Adams, uh, I mean, even Tony and Chase, I mean, that they were, I mean, they projected fine. Tight end is tight end. Who cares? You didn't, you didn't need a big tight end to win. And there you go. Madison, you played chalk, you know, in two spots pretty much. And then just build the best correlated lineup from there. No, this is this is a lineup that I possibly could have gotten to if I was playing more of the the Browns Chargers game. Well, I didn't have Kareem Hunt or I didn't have Mike Williams, so I'm eh, sorry, couldn't have gotten there. I was prioritizing other games, but uh, but no, this is this, and I'm assuming in lineup HQ you just went in and you said, give me give me lineups that have primary plus secondary plus third and. You know, you don't have to force all of them in. You don't have to play them like three correlations in a hundred percent of your lineups. But if they work out this way, they work out this way. So they got this. Is this game isn't that complicated, right, James? No, no. I mean, well, building out lineups is not that complicated. Getting lucky is where you really need things to roll your way. And and hitting on the one v ones and the two v twos and stuff like that, especially on a slate like yesterday, where there were just for at least for me there were some very very obvious spots that just needed to be attacked like alexander madison i'm a person who there are times where yesterday i've been like oh alexander madison like i i think you can build lineups without him nope not yesterday yesterday i had him in in all three lineups that i built i started with him in every lineup because it was like alexander madison checked every single box yesterday every single box he was under 6k he's projecting for all the work he was going up against a team that sucks. They were massive favorites on the slate. They had like, I think either the top or the second highest implied team total 
on the entire slate as Vikings. The Vikings love to run the ball in the red zone. Like every single box was checked by Madison yesterday. So I think that, you know, one of the reasons why every single tout side on the planet was, was preaching their wins last night and this morning is like, there were so many things that just made sense. So a lot of GPPs and a lot of tournaments, I think were decided, were decided by a lot of these one v ones. Like you went with Alexander Madison, you went with Devontae Adams, you went with uh, one of like the top overall implied team total teams. You know, you had the the Bucks, you had the uh, who else? The Chargers projected pretty well. They had a pretty high team total. Like that, there were a lot of spots that just made sense. So I think yesterday a lot of one v ones and a lot of two v twos. So um, that lineup was built really really well with those correlations. Uh, the one v ones, I think, were obviously where he ended up crushing, and why he would have taken down so many tournaments if he'd have had the bankroll for it. Uh, I had to talk about like last week. We talked about you over projecting OBJ. Oh yeah, I love it. Okay. Uh, what was what was your uh, in my aggregate? So I'm bringing yeah. it up right. I I saved my my lineup HQ screen from yesterday. Okay. Uh, in my aggregate, Alexander Madison had the third highest project raw projection on the entire slate. Uh-huh. So I had Derek Henry at 24, Devontae Adams at 23.29, and then Madison at 22.6 over Kamara, over Moore, over Jefferson, over Eckler, over Harris. Where, I mean, I, I would have to assume, the fact that, it, I mean, I mean, I played Madison in 60% of my lineups and in all my single entry three max lineups. Yeah. Like, and I still think he was under owned. If we take a look at uh, GPPs, I mean, this is, I mean, this is, I mean, you just jam this. A late news, 1130 inactives type of news. In the Wildcat, I'm bringing up the results DB screen here. In the Wildcat, Alexander Madison was 63% owned. Yeah. That's a 333, 150 max. That's what I expected. I expected in the higher stakes, in the slant, which is where I play 150. He was 53% owned. Yeah. I had 60%. And I could have got I could have gone even higher. Uh, in the Millie, he was 35. In the play action, the $3.20 max, 23% owned. <laughs> so, like if you're playing low stakes, if you're playing in the in the play action, if you're playing the min, like uh, let's bring up the mini max. What did the typically don't bring up the mini max? The mini max, probably a little, it's probably gonna be a little bit higher. Yeah, 31%. So not not that dramatic. Uh yeah, if you were playing the Minimax yesterday and you won the lock button Alexander Madison, I think that would have been, he would have been plus EV in almost any lineup. At it was that, really at, hard. Yeah, it was really at hard. That, at that ownership. Yeah. Like in the Wildcat at 63% owned, I think that was more closer to efficient. Yeah. Right? If you had 70%, like I think his efficient ownership in a contest like the Wildcat was around 65 to 70%. Uh, so if you didn't play him in the Wildcat, in some lineup, like like that, I think that's perfectly fine. But when you're getting that much value by 23% of the field doesn't have him. Uh, to only, you know, 23% of the field has him. And he should be 65% owned. Yeah. Like that that delta means that like, instead of like, I, I know we, we talk with, with Daniel Hutchins, nerdy tenor. He plays the balance strategy. Like how much should he be owned? And I'm going to play him in that, that rate. Like I try to exploit the field. So like, to me, if you, if you would have told me in the, and I was playing the play action, he would have been in every single, I, 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 he would have been the highest EV play of the entire slate by far. Mm-hmm. 
And if he any if he gets injured or bust or something, then so be it. But you can even see with Devontae Adams that at 8,200, in the play action, he was 19% owned. In the Wildcat, he was 36% owned. Like that gap, you could see, like the lower the stakes you go, like this is, this is the reason why the game theory approach is a lot of times better served for higher stakes or smaller field contests mm-hmm. because we say that the, I mean, the game theory, you're, you're using game theory regardless, but there's a bigger difference in fading chalk. There's a lot of people go like, okay, is this guy worth playing at this ownership? Right. And then they look at projected ownerships from like Roto Grinders. And we've tried to project for the Millie, like that type of contest. Yeah. And you go, okay, what well, is Devontae Adams going to be, you know, 23% owned? How efficient is that? I think he should have been 28% owned. Okay. So you should be playing more of them. But which also means that in the play action, you should be, play, he's 19% owned. You should play more of him. But you go, well, he's going to be the highest owned wide receiver. It's like, yeah, but he's still not high owned enough. Right. Right. But in the Wildcat, where he's 36% owned, well, that's over possibly his efficient ownership. So you may come in less, you may have less of him because he's he's less worthy of playing. That's the whole concept we explain in the course, theory of DFS.com. DFS is a game of relative value. You're trying to get as many points that you can that other people don't get, okay? So now, obviously, you don't mind getting points that other people get if you can't get them anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Alexander Madison's 5,500 when he should be 8,000. It's going to be hard. To, it's going to be hard to make that up, especially uh, even if half the field is playing him, because maybe sixty percent, seventy percent of the field should be playing him. But in the cases where uh, only twenty three percent of the field is playing him, like you're getting like twenty five hundred dollars worth of value from playing him for free, that seventy seven percent of the field isn't getting. So why not? Play? Well, I mean, like, why not do that? So that's why when, when I talk about in the in the larger field contest, I tend to play less. Con- it's, it's weird to say I'm playing contrarian, but I'm playing less contrarian than in single entry or three max. Let's because the, the good the good plays are actually lower on than they should be. Yeah. But the good play in the Wildcat. Now, now you could be. Do I play a 25 percent on CeeDee Lamb in the Wildcat? Well, possibly not. I, I, I'll play a play a Cooper instead or I'll play Elliot, or I don't play that game. But in the in the, in the play action or something, or the Minimax, we haven't been, okay, the Minimax hasn't been updated for the late games because we're getting 0% on Lamb. So I, I'm, I assume Lamb was owned more than 0% of the Minimax. But this is the difference. I know a lot of people that watch or listen to the show play lower stakes. Now the slant is not, the slant is probably the sharpest lower stakes contest. Mm-hmm. Because it because has a lot the of the sharks play it, right? Because it has the best payout structure in, on the entire site. Uh, so I sharks t- tend to 150 this, but it doesn't mean you can't play it. Just you see the difference between the ownerships between the slant and the milli and the play action that it's it's much sharper. I mean, it's may not maybe not completely sharp, but it's much better. So to me, in the slant, it's easier for me to gauge where I need to get leverage. Mm-hmm. I don't mind playing the 150 lineups into this because. I know I I could pre- better predict the ownership in the in the small in the small uh, the play action type of thing. I'd be jamming in just g- give me give me uh, you know give me the top projected lineups that have correlation and just like start jamming them in 
just run right maybe not the highest owned ones but like i could do that but in the wildcat or something like that or the single entry small field so like in the in the double spy that i played i hand built five i think five or six lineups mm-hmm. into single entry uh, three max this week uh i and in the sm- this is the smallest one that i entered which is the double spy 833 entries i overstacked my top the top game that i had Yesterday was the the Buccaneers Miami. The same, Dolphins. yeah, same. Uh, and I played both sides. I had a lot of uh, Jacoby Brissett on one side. I had a lot of Brady on the. I mean, but I was over the the pricing on the Dolphins were cheap enough, and I think the I think Antonio Brown and Leonard Fournette were too cheap that I didn't mind overstacking. So like in smaller field, I didn't do this in large field. Large field, I still played at most a, a three plus one. But you see in this lineup that I played Brady plus Fournette plus Godwin plus Brown plus Waddle plus Gazicki. Damn. So a four plus two. Came in 53rd, uh, 193 points. Uh, and then I filled it out with uh, Madison, Henry, Washington defense. I mean, just chalk, chalk, chalk. Uh, in hindsight, I probably should have gone uh, Adams plus Vikings defense. I would have gained, it only, it only cost me 200 bucks, right? I would, I would have came in like 18th for $700. So it's not like it's that big of a deal. Uh, Henry plus, Henry plus uh, Washington projected uh, one and a half points higher than Adams plus Vikings. But I knew that in small field contests, the Washington and Eagles defenses would be the chalk 20 plus percent on defenses, especially in single entry. Mm-hmm. I should have for that one and a half points. I should have nine percent owned Vikings defense, and what like third like thirty thirty five percent owned Adams over forty percent owned Henry. Yeah, it would have been it would have been worth. I mean, I would have gained uh, about fifteen percentage points in ownership for one and a half points of projection, and that in hindsight, that's what I should have done. But I, essentially, when I built the four plus two, I just basically said. How do I get Madison and Chalk in? Mm-hmm. I only have so many spots. So, I mean, like, it's very easy to just jam him in. But I did this also with Brissette. So playing, like, Brissette plus Waddle plus Gesicki plus Fournette plus Evans plus Brown. Like, that type of lineup. But this is for single entry, three max. Uh, I thought that game, obviously, the, the Cowboys-Giants game. If you stack the Cowboys-Giants game yesterday... Well, it got there. It got to 64 points. Just, uh, just most anyone in your lineup that was a giant that wasn't Kadarius Tony. It was pretty much was an Ingram who didn't do much. Uh, they didn't. They they were in the game, right? That was and that was really really frustrating yesterday because like I even said on stream, somebody asked me like, why wouldn't I like Kadarius Tony more than I would like John Ross? And I'm like, Kadarius Tony is not used in a higher upside way than John Ross is. And then Kadarius Tony breaks OBJ's rookie record for yards for the Giants. Yeah, but that's what happens. You have you have you originally you have Shepard and Slayton out, right? Yeah. So that puts Tony on the board because he's going to be the pro. He's going to act as Sterling Shepard. He's going to be in the slot. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah. He, and he's going to get there. some targets. Right. Right. Okay. So which is fun for cash. Like that's why I looked at. I have plenty of Tony. Yeah. And Tony was cash viable at four thousand. Uh, and if you played him in cash, that's fine. Uh, but then Galladay goes down, right? So it's like now, 
CJ Board, what what he's not an I mean, so basically Kadarius Tony became Devontae Adams in that I offense because he's like, who who else is there to throw the ball to? It was so funny because at halftime, I was in I was in third in the power sweep at halftime in that game. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that I can't take first. Like that's already off the board. I'm already pretty are you, much are you, you have Dak in that lineup? Uh no, no, I had Tom Brady. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was no, so like I'm I'm done. Stack. Yeah, I'm done. And I'm like, okay, I know I can't place first, but like I can probably place still like top 10, probably. And I typed it in the Discord. I was like, okay, I guess the only thing that I'm fading is Kadarius Tony. <laughs> well, that, well, that didn't work out. That, that didn't work out. Uh, but yeah, um, Kadarius Tony just going absolutely ham. And that was one of the things. He was 16% owned in the power sweep. Like he wasn't low owned. So no. for, for that to come out, I mean, that was, but that's, and that's what I meant, like kind of the beginning of the show, like so many people were able to tout so many screenshots this morning because like pretty much every play that was like touted just got there, especially in higher stakes. Um, you asked me, well, where, I mean, if we take, if we take a look, if we take a look at the average ownership between all these, the wildcat, I'm just going to go by average. Okay. Madison. 41% on average in all these contests. Yeah. Uh, 30 points. Henry, 34 points. Adams, 40 points. Fournette, who's only 5,200, 21 points. C.D. Lamb, you didn't need him, but he got 18 points. Gazicki's a tight end, so who cares? It didn't yeah. matter. Uh, LaVisca, I mean, pretty much those those that, that $4,800 range, that, that Chenault didn't get there. Uh, Higgins got 10 points. Didn't really get you there. Waddle five points. Didn't really get you there. Uh, AJ Brown didn't get there. Uh, then we have like James Robinson, Damian Williams. I mean, it was, it wasn't that hard to get 20 points out of a running back slot. It wasn't this week. Uh, and most likely you got 30, right? Most (laughs) likely you were able to get like 60 points combined out of running back spots. So it wasn't that, you know, if you had James Robinson at 24 points, like it wasn't even that special, right? I mean, right. you pretty much, you needed guys like Tony, you needed, because he's only 4,000 and getting 32 points. Uh, Jamar Chase, 30 points at 13% mm-hmm. on average. And obviously like Mike Williams. I mean, he, he was, he, he was, owned. Slate, he but I mean, he was the low owned piece and he needed, and you needed the Herbert or Brady. Because yep. they they destroy. I mean, from the quarterback. I, I mean, at the quarterback position, we go by fantasy points. I mean, they destroyed. Like the next highest. Okay, from an ownership perspective, Prescott had twenty five points at nine percent owned. Burrow twenty points at seven percent owned. Herbert three percent forty five points. Brady seven percent forty yeah. points. Uh, the next highest point quarterback is thirteen points behind, and that's Jameis Winston. At just and nobody's taking Jameis Winston yesterday. Davis Mills at at 005 percent and Baker Mayfield at 0.32 percent. But still, it's like insane. when you could beat, if you have Herbert or Brady, you have at least you have a to a quarterback that was owned at least. I mean, you had a 15 to 20 point head start on any other lineup, and obviously they're paired with receivers that did well also. So, yeah. like you need you needed the you needed basically the Chargers, Browns, and the Bucks. Dolphins games mm-hmm. and really not even the Dolphins unless no. you had Gaskin that will have a Gaskin that, Gaskin's I don't care. eating up everything of course he only played 23% of the snaps last week this week's Cordero Patterson 
Right. Right. Exactly. No, well, I mean, he was on the field a lot. I'm assuming, I'm assuming, uh, I mean, this is, this is when we predict like outcomes of games. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm going to assume that with Parker out, like they, and they're playing the bucks. So they're going to have to pass the ball a lot. There was no reason to play Malcolm Brown as much as they did the week before. So you would play Miles Gaskin because he's a much better pass catching running back. Like that's right. Well, that's what we could think of in hindsight. But if we continue, if we try to do that for every game, we're going to be wrong half the time anyway, right? right. So like, so to me, there's no purpose in thinking that way. But it makes logical sense that against the Buccaneers, that they wouldn't even bother trying to run the ball, and that's why they'd have Gaskin out more than that. But if you look at Gaskin's usage over the past four weeks. I mean, that could have easily been like whoever, whoever's the fourth running. It could Salvin Ahmed actually got caught was a third, the third down back and caught balls. It could have been him and yeah. Gaskin sitting there with like three touches. So I, I had Gaskin never known. I had Gaskin with a ceiling of ten fantasy points. He had over ten catches. So, <laughs> um, you you asked me where I had Alexander Madison projected as uh, as we are talking about the the OBJ thing. So I had him. If you consider just Flex position, not quarterback. I had him as the second highest projection. Right, behind, right. Yeah, I'm not considering quarterback. Yeah. So behind, but, but, just don't, behind. Don't tell me you had Madison over Adams, like you had OBJ over Adams. No, no. Adams was top overall. Okay, so you had and, him. And over I didn't Adams. have, I didn't have OBJ over Adams either. I had Adams. I always have Adams projected as like the top overall. Okay, but so yeah. you had Madison over Henry. Barely. I had Madison at 21.4, and I had Henry at 20.74. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had Henry right there. Henry. Yeah, but it's but still. It, I mean, still at fifty five hundred at that level with a twenty plus point projection. Yeah, you just and and I should say like I don't think that his like a, a projection of twenty ish twenty one point four nine at fifty five hundred. That's a really really good play, and it makes sense why he was so highly owned. Um, but it is a discussion of like, what do you think his his efficient ownership should have been? Say about sixty five percent. 65%. So on like this, if, on this slate at running back. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I'm looking through projections. I had uh, Chubba Hubbard for 15.9 and Joe Mixon for 16 for around 16 Leonard Fournette for around 15. Like Alexander Madison was by far overall for his price, just a ridiculously good play. So that that's kind of like something that I try to think about is like, why, where would I have wanted to have him? Like in the power sweep, he's 60% owned. I was fine playing him at 60% owned, but at what point would I want to do a faded him? Well, I, I, I think at 60, 65% owned. He That's was about right. He was neutral. So yeah. like, if you want, if you wanted to not play him and try to get leverage that way, I thought it would have been fine. But I think, I think you benefit more, especially at a running, running back. People think running back is, is a, is a low variance position. I don't think it is with the touchdown variance of running back that like on this slate, especially like in single entry stuff, especially I'm just going to, I'll just let other people make it. I'll build, I'll build it around a different way when it comes to a $5,500 running back. Like I, I did not consider Fournette to be anywhere near the same level. Like I'm obviously lower projection, right? But I'm talking about as far as the range of outcomes. I think Alexander Madison's range of outcomes was much narrower. And I mean, it had a higher ceiling and a much higher floor than Leonard Fournette with Gio Bernard back in the picture. 
right? Like to me, I think Fournette was probably overowned originally heading into the slate until Madison, the Madison ownership ate away at everyone else's ownership. So Fournette came in at, at you know, a decent rate and not over-owned. But like to me, like the guy, the guy that you, the guy that I'm more likely to fade in the lineup is Henry because he's nine thousand. Right. Not because I don't think he's going to do well or his projection's bad. It's just that, like Derrick Henry on this slate wasn't necessary. He scored thirty four points and, and he didn't necessary. need him to win. Right. I, I I think he was the highest. Was he the highest scoring running back? Yes. Well, what did Miles Gaskins? <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. Derrick Henry was the highest scoring running back. Eckler had just under a 33.9 points. So 34, like pretty much the same as Henry. Gaskin, who was barely owned at 32, <laughs> right? 0.21%. But Kam- Madison at 30, Kamara at 5% on average, mm-hmm. 29 points. Elliott, 28 points at 7%. Chubb, 27 points. Najee, 25 uh robinson 24 kareem hunt 25 like depending on who your wide receivers was i mean if you had mike williams in the lineup like you didn't need henry no right if you had mike williams and alexander madison and alvin kamara like you you probably did fun i mean like like you you didn't need there were so many of these these running backs that scored enough points and if we go to wide receiver like really, it drops off. Like Adams, Williams, then Antonio Brown, Kadarius Tony, Mike Evans, Jamar Chase, Portland Sutton, and Claypool around 27, 28. Uh, and then it goes down to Chris Moore at no ownership at 24 points. Marcus Callaway, 0. 0.76, 25 <laughs> points. Then we get to Justin Jefferson's 22. And it's like, that's not good enough. Right. Kitty Lamb's 18 is not good enough. Hopkins 20 is not good enough. Once you get out of that top five, especially because that top five was so highly owned. And that's the important part here, I think. Like those guys scoring all those points, if the ownership is more spread out, I think that you have more outs. And and we kind of talk about that a little bit. Like when we talk about multi-positional eligibility and stuff like that, when you have more outs and when you have more availability and like more options, you don't necessarily need to hit the perfect combination. This week you needed the perfect combination because like no, you had you, multiple, you had multiple. I mean, you had multiple ways to get there, but much more limited. Right. I mean, but just speaking of wide receiver here individually, like the, right, the you wide probably, receivers. You, you probably you need you basically you needed you needed Herbert plus Williams or Brady plus Antonio Brown plus and Mike like, Evans. Like uh, Mike Evans or either or both of yeah. them, but based on the quarterback position and the wide receiver position. If you didn't have that, yeah, it didn't matter what running backs. It, if like, you didn't it, sack it, the Chargers or the Bucks, like you were, you were dead. You were dead the first place. Yeah. You were, like there was there was there, there was no way to fit all these guys in. You wouldn't you wouldn't have a lineup with Adams, Williams, and Brown, mm-hmm. with some other with Dak Prescott and 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 Ceedee Lamb. Like that wouldn't have gotten there. Right. You needed Brady, Herbert, and obviously Brady and Herbert are tied to three of the one, two, three, four, five, six. six Three of the six receivers that scored 30 plus points are tied to the two quarterbacks that scored 40 plus points. Right. It, you, you can't, you can't win. That. I mean, yeah, I, I had some lineup, good lineups with Portland Sutton in it as a 1% 28 pointer, Yeah, but it didn't mean anything because like, I don't have Mike Williams in that lineup or I don't have Devontae Adams in the lineup. So it didn't matter. 
Oh, by the way, uh, Cortland Sutton was my my OBJ this week. What what did you have Cortland Sutton at? Uh, let, let me take a look. Cortland Sutton. Let's go by fantasy points. I I had him at, at just under 14. Okay, I had him at 20. 20? <laughs> what? No, that's run. Come on. That, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Bro, that part of my model works because guys like Cortland Sutton and OBJ and these guys who get these massive market shares of air yards and their quarterbacks like OBJ had a 10% target share yesterday. Yesterday, and he was a game where there was 89 points scored. Yesterday, OBJ. 89 points scored. He's two for 20. That was yesterday. OBJ projected for 13 fantasy points. For me, yeah, but that's on that's on on point, right? Yeah, and and but that's the thing is like as we continue getting more data for this year, it's going to evolve. So yeah, obviously OBJ projecting less this week, but Cortland Sutton projecting for twenty, you know that. And we've talked about that. We talked about that with baseball too. Where like with my models, what I want to do is I want to hit on things before they actually like come to fruition. That's how I always treat it. Let me get back over here. Yeah, I'd back him at, at 12 point something or other. Yeah, that's about right. Right. Ceiling no, of 26. No, 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 20 points for Sutton? No. No. I mean, the ceiling not, of Sutton is 36. Yeah, but I don't care. Obviously, your ceiling is a million, whatever. whatever oh, stop. You know that there's ways really? to actually I mean, calculate that. What did you have? What did you have for DJ Moore? So you had him over DJ Moore, you had him over Jefferson? Yeah, DJ Moore, 18.25. Justin I, Jefferson, 21.5. Okay, well, I was. I don't. I, I don't see how you get sudden twenty points. Not, I. That it's it's wrong. It's just it's just wrong. Well, like you say that, but he did have twenty eight. Yeah, but OBJ last week had five points, and you yeah, had him but like OBJ a, also should have had like a sixty-two yard touchdown. Oh, should have. Oh, sudden could have not come so down. That's with one of those the thing that we're doing here, though. Like, right. if. If things work out the way that I would have liked them to work out in my projections, then OBJ crushes last week. Same right. thing with Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton had like what a, a 50-yard touchdown or something? Yeah, but but I'm arguing with you. I had like way over the field on Cortland Sutton. Which is beautiful. But I only <laughs> but I because in that in that price range, he was he was gonna be like one percent. I mean, people were concerned about the injury, and I tend to I'll take yeah. a shot on yeah. he's the number one receiver. So like I mean, he was like, he was 0.7% owned in the power sweep. Right. Well, I'm I'm talking about even in the in the slant, he was like 1.28 percent. But that's yeah. even less than what I have him projected on. I thought Portland Sutton would be three percent. I have him five. Yeah, I right, have okay. him like so 4.2. Right. So, so it ended up being I should have had more of them. Then. Yeah. You should have just listened to my projections. Right. Right. I should have just bumped <laughs> them up eight points for no reason. <laughs> it was six points. You said you had him at fourteen. No, I'd have been. I don't know where. But I, I mine is an aggregate. So yeah. What did hold on? What did what did I have? Let's see. So I had him for around 20. Oh yeah, I was waiver. I was even over Vegas by a lot. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 20 is ridiculous. Yeah. I I actually I was pretty close on a lot of things for Vegas this week, which makes sense. Like after week four, that's when my, my models start to stabilize quite a bit. Because like the first three weeks, I, I always say like that there's so little that you can actually glean from the data for the first three weeks, but after four weeks, we kind of know what teams want to do. We kind of know what, what play callers actually want to do. We know what the adjusted scripts are. So that, that helps out my models a lot. Cause I build top down. 
I build like I start at Vegas and then I start at the team and then I go to the team level off of Vegas. And then from the team level, I go down to player level. So that after four weeks, after five weeks, better after seven weeks, like I have a lot of confidence in the way things work out. But this week, I mean, my largest difference is my largest difference over Vegas was Cortland Sutton, who Vegas had projected for like 13.7. And then I was over on Ross Dwelly and Melvin Gordon, but not even by that much. Like Vegas had Ross Dwelly at 7.6, basically eight. I had him at 12. Melvin Gordon, Vegas had at eight. I had at 12. And then after that, I wasn't that far over on anybody. Over on Aaron Jones by like one point. I think I was under Vegas on a lot of different guys. Yeah, I was under Vegas on Herbert, Towney, uh, Murray. I was under on QBs, it looks like. But I'm, I'm fine being under on QBs because I think that I'm better at QBs than Vegas is most of the time. Okay, let me look through some of the YouTube chat. Feel free to type any questions. We're, we're always here to – I know we, we talk about a lot of stuff that happened yesterday, what, what, what we do. Uh, Ruben says, hey, Blender, how did you make – Managed to make oh, you're over 200 lineups in less than an hour after all projections need to be updated to show Madison. Is it? And it, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. I download all the projection sources and I aggregate it into Lineup HQ and they rerun. I I was running lineups before then. I was running lineups at nine in the morning, ten in the morning. I don't know about the Madison news, but I've, I'm playing a whole bunch of stuff. So it's just like, like okay, so I've in my pool in that range especially. Like if I go to running back, like I have Fournette, I have Damian Harris, I have Damian Williams, I have Chase Edmonds, I have Josh Jacobs, I have James Robinson, I have Chubba Hubbard, I have Swift, I have Mixon. I mean, like this, all those guys could end up turning into Madison. Now, do I do a swap like that? No, but just like I'm making very similar type of lineups with those guys. And I still have like Najee Harris and Zeke. and, And so all I know is that like, once Madison's in, I'm, I put him up to 50 plus percent and I just basically bump down like every other running back. Mm-hmm. So it's like, instead of having uh 6% Damien Harris, I now have 2%. Instead of having 20% Damien Williams, I have 16%. Instead, and you know, I just start bumping everything down and seeing what fits. I'm still, but the stacks are all practically going to be, the defense ends up changing, right? Like I have enough people changes. in my pool. Right, right. It, it didn't change that dramatically. So I was I was able, once once all the Madison projections were in, in the Blitz and the other sources that I use, like, that was what? I think 12, 12, look, it says here, uh, 1207 is when I, when I updated it. Right, so 1207, I have my DK, Ag, I, I name them, because I have one for Saturday, I have one for Sunday morning, mm-hmm. just so I know that I'm using the current whatever set that I'm using for whatever site. And then, then I run. I mean, twelve oh seven. By the by, the time twelve thirty came around, I had all my. I, I mean, I was perfectly fine with all my lineups. Well, and you've already set up your entire like. You've already set up your group. I already my already player groups. I already stacks. have all like you've done all of those things. That's kind of the thing. Like, NME and NFL is so nice because you have days to set those things up. I mean, like from basically. And you don't even need days. No, you, but, you, have, you, have an but you have them. You have them. Right. Like if you not like, it's not like basketball. You have no time. Oh, dude, you're screwed in basketball. You're just, you're just absolutely over a barrel in basketball. I hate doing that for basketball because, like, 
those groups on on Wednesday or even on Thursday, even on Friday, even if you don't you don't even want to look at anything until after the injury report on Friday, you have all of Friday night and Saturday and Sunday morning to set up your groups, your stacks, your exposures, like where you want to be overweight, where you want to be underweight, all of these different things. You you have a totally curated pool by the time that Sunday morning comes around because you have an entire day and a half to do so. And people think, when, when people think about MME, they're like, oh, well, I have to set up like all these different things and I have to run in all these different ways. It's like, it, yeah, but in NFL, you, you have 36 hours to do those things. I mean, things. but look at, look at my groups, like James, these are the groups that I had. I had what, uh, Q, how many letters are in the alphabet? I don't know, 15 groups or so, 17 <laughs> groups. Oh, man. Uh, but look, most of these groups are like, I don't, I, t- I typically uh, running backs against each other are negatively correlated. Mm-hmm. So I don't like playing them together if given the choice. Uh, so I like Barkley Elliott. Lan- oh, here, like here's a, here's a group that I have. When De- Dak Prescott is in the lineup, use at least one of Lamb or Cooper. So that prevents me from having Dak Prescott plus Dalton Schultz as the stack right right as in a one plus you know it's prescott schultz and then giants run back i don't want that i want one of the two main wide receivers i don't play mixon and jones together here if aaron Rodgers happens to be in the lineup make sure to use Devontae adams right just he has to have Devontae adams in the lineup here's one if joe burrow is the conditional player have one to two of chase boyd higgins Yep. So this this means that I'm not getting instead of me trying to say how do I keep Uzoma out of a non out of Burrow lineups like that I just go when Burrow's in the lineup you need to I don't mind Uzoma if he's along in a three plus one I don't want Uzoma in two plus ones mm-hmm. Burrow Uzoma so I just do that I mean but I, you could do this Saturday night I mean it take. You could do this Sunday morning. You know how long it takes me to set up these groups? Right, but you don't have to do and it minute. after you get the Alexander Madison chop that, or the, the news. Like, that's the point. You don't have to yeah, reset what, this, this whole is, system. This is, oh, oh, this is what I had to do. Look, I added one more group, Swift Madison, zero yeah. one. That, what, what else do I have to do? I, I mean, you don't, but that's my not point. Right. Yeah, it's not that hard. Right, if I have Mac Jones in the lineup, make sure to use one of Myers or Aguilar. So oh, well, you, you could have just thrown that away by removing Mac Jones from your pool. Well, I didn't. <laughs> well, you should have. <laughs> I should have had Davis. I should have Dave. Look, dude, I had I had so many Mac Jones plus Jacoby Myers <laughs> with Brandon Cooks lineups. Just do a secondary stack. Why do you need Mac Jones? And the, the, the over-under is like 36 or they something. They projected well. They projected How? well. How? <laughs> Myers and Cooks projected well. And what, what ends up happening is the correct usage of that was just the Davis Mills double naked double stack. <laughs> Davis Mills plus Chris Conley plus Chris Moore. Like that that's the stack to use with no Patriots run back. Just secondary stack that man. I did the same I, no, I, I did it in my right The secondary stacks didn't work out either. Myers well, was no, but like and... even like with Mac Jones, I I don't understand why anybody would play Mac Jones. Well, I, don't, I, I don't get it. I played I played 220 lineups, James. So have more of somebody good. Have more of like a team that can score points. The Patriots oh, like haven't been Mills? able to score points in three years. Doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, like you could have had. Uh, what? Where was Mac Jones projected? I don't care about the quarterbacks. I care about the receivers. The quarterback. Who cares? 
What what did you okay? What did you have? We're gonna do the projection thing. What did you have for Myers? Okay, for Will for Jacoby Myers, right? Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers at 13. I had him at 16 and a half. Okay, you overprojected him. Oh, okay. So that's wrong. How about how about Brandon Cooks? Uh Brandon Cooks, I had I had Brandon Cooks at 15.6. I had 16.95. Okay, you overprojected. Okay, so now at least would you under now we're arguing about the projection, but had those two guys been projected in your the same way, even like at it 16? makes the Mac Jones sing the uh, skinny stack lineups or with like Johnu Smith or Hunter Henry. Absolutely not. No, I would not have had Mac Mac Jones projected for 16 fancy points in, in my stacks. Okay. In my stacks projections, uh, New England. I, I, had, I, had, I had Mac Jones at 18. Okay. I, I had, I had a New England stack. Of Mac Jones, Jacoby Myers, and Nelson Aguilar for 38. 38. That okay, is well, you don't play them two together. You play one of the other and you play Smith or Henry in the tight end. Why would you play Mac Jones with one receiver? No, you play with the tight end. You fill it garbage tight end spot. With <laughs> okay. Him. So Mac Jones. And then you play Brandon Cooks, who projects if Mac, if Mac I had, Jones I had Brandon Cooks with a three-point higher projection than Cortland Sutton. Well, that's because you were wrong, Jordan. Oh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh, Cortland Sutton getting a better projection than than, than uh, Calvin Johnson in his prime. That, that I that's I think not right. I think Calvin Johnson would have been projected like Devontae Adams. Let's be honest. About that. <laughs> Calvin Johnson would have been projected like God, right? Right, but I mean, but we're arguing right now over the projections. No, I'm, I'm, I'm arguing. If you, I'm had, arguing... If you had those projections, my projections. All, all three, those three players were like to, a total combined seven points higher than yours. Sure. Like then it makes, then if, so we're just from the decision of doing that, the lineups look good using my numbers, just like your, your playing Bridgewater Sutton would have looked much better in your model. Sure. Because Sutton, you had six points higher projected than I did. I just think that like, when you look at, because I care a lot about Vegas too. I care a lot about the over-unders on that. And if Vegas has that game at 39, which I, I think is what it closed at, right? It closed yeah. over at 39. Um, for New England, they had an implied team total of 23.5. I, I mean, why would I go there instead of going with Tampa Bay at 29? Green well, no, Bay no, no. Well, I'm not going instead of. I went, I, the, the reason why I played lower total teams is because we only had one game that was, we only had two games that were 50 plus totals. These past sure, couple of but weeks there are still like all there are still all these other teams. I, I mean, Minnesota projected at twenty nine point seven five for a team total. So I played Madison. So there, there you go. What's wrong with that? <laughs> so you play Madison in my Mac Jones line. Uh, I, I I am not a fan of stacking teams that have super low totals. No, I mean I I was when the when the total amount of points on the slate are lower, then I have no problem. I have no problem doing. I think that that if is it's lower that generally it, yes we, we've, the, the first four weeks I'm, I'm doing the asa show and we're talking we have five or six games that are 50 plus totals it's like it, yeah and we no didn't have any of those teams on this slate. right right this, i, I this understand was, right this was a slate where the totals weren't we didn't have the chiefs bills game on the main slate right, right. i mean like like a lot of the the ram seahawks on thursday night like a lot of these teams are off the slate so it's like as long as like one couple of these games fail it's like mm-hmm. dude Maybe the Patriots put up 28 points and, and and I have all the good one-off secondary correlations of everything else. And 
You don't you Mac Mac Jones getting 23 points of quarterback like that that could be enough. I guess what the, if, if we t- if we took the Chargers game and the and the the Buccaneers game off the slate, like quarterback wouldn't have mattered anymore. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um I, I guess the the way that I look at it and the way that I wrote about it was why why use Mac Jones in that stack when you could have just had Jacoby Myers, Brandon Cooks, and I said the I, same thing. I did that thing. also, and they ruined my lineups there as well. <laughs> right, but I said the same thing about the the Broncos and the Steelers. I, I didn't like stacking that game, but I really liked Cortland Sutton and Deontay Johnson. So I did have that secondary stack. That was in my best lineup. If I have Chase Claypool, then I finish you know 14th or whatever. But uh, like those those kind of things where. I think there is just a massive market share going to individual players. I don't usually like stacking that. I I don't like stacking new England because Jacoby Myers is like, he's all you really want from new England anyway. So if they're facing Houston where you get Brandon cooks coming back, I'd rather just use those two and stack a higher total game. Okay. But I'm playing 220 lineup. I get it. It's because you're a baller, right? Jeff Balistrieri, was it a bad move in my part to play a third of my lineups as a cousin stack to leverage off of Madison? Obviously, my other two lineups had him. I don't think it's a bad move in the smaller field right. contest. I, If you were playing small, like we said before, you have to go. It's Ownership is not just one thing. It depends on the contest mm-hmm. that you're in. So if we take a look at the Madison ownership, let me go here. Like if you did that in higher stakes, smaller field contest, then you then you're getting you're actually getting leverage by doing so. If you were doing if you were playing if look the best way to think about that is look was it the right was it the better move? There's no right or wrong moves because we're talking about lineups, not players. Look, I don't know what contests you had them in, but go look at the contest. How owned was Madison? If Madison was only 30% owned, 25% owned in that contest, it was probably it was probably a better move to just play Madison. If Madison was 60 plus percent owned, 50, 60, 70% owned, then I think your line you, you got you got the requisite leverage by not playing Madison and playing a lower projected lineup that was negatively correlated to them. You you may have made up that median projection difference with the amount of relative value that you have in your lineup, but it's all dependent on the contest that you're playing. So most likely if you, if you were playing something more like the spy or a sm- very under a thousand and Madison was 60 plus percent owned, I would, I would have considered that. I didn't cause I just, it was 1130. I'm just like, I'm just jamming in Madison. I'm just like, I already made my choices. Uh, cousins, the, nothing really changed in the projection when Madison for anyone else, in the game, feeling Jefferson cousins. I mean, so it's like, I wasn't playing the Vikings passing stack to begin with. And it doesn't, and I didn't think I got enough leverage, especially in the larger stuff that it warranted even to do it. But yes, I guess I could have thought about it and said in the smaller field stuff, maybe, maybe the cousin stack was leverage, but I thought, especially uh, the news being 90 minutes before lock, it's more likely that Madison comes in under own than over own. So like, when that's the case, I just I just jam them. I, to, to me, you can't go you, you can't go wrong. Even if hey, if Madison got injured on the first play, still don't think it, more likely an inactive's ninety minutes before lock type of thing happens. You stand to benefit more by jamming them than by 
well, if the field's going to do this, I'm going to like, don't, don't you overestimate the, the, the intelligence of the field. For what it's worth, I do think that having a hedge probably made sense there. And, and I considered as well, I had Minnesota projected well because I had a 29.75 team total. But like, I think it also depends on how much of your portfolio you're willing to dedicate to it. I think 33% is too much. If you only have three lineups, I don't think that it's necessary to go against what is like very obviously just like the best play on the slate by a long shot. If you have 200 lineups like MME Bender over here, uh, then you can like dedicate like 10% or something like that to, to Minnesota, 5%, something like that. But 33%, probably a little bit too much. And when you only have three lineups, it's not even really thinking about 33%. Like that's such a massive, especially like if you're like me and you're only playing power sweep and I only have those three entries, dedicating one of those to like that large of a leverage thing when I think there are so much other better spots to attack. It's, it's like, it's just too risky. And I'm a risky person. No, no, you, it's it's not too risky. The Cousins lineups did not come nowhere near the projection for a contest that small that was worth. Like Madison would have to be twenty percent owned. Uh, would have to be like eighty percent owned, right? To even come play, and even then, may not be worth. I mean, I I I ran what I do when I research, and I showed on the I show on the pregame show, like I showed last week researching constructions of lineups and what their projections look like in combination. I'm running hundreds upon hundreds of lineups. So I'm not just running 150 and seeing whatever happens. Like, no, I'm running 300 lineups here, 300 lineups this way, 300 lineups that way. And like, dude, like Cousins isn't showing up like anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like as a stack, I get some Jefferson. I barely get Thielen. I wasn't getting much of Dalvin Cook at the time. So it's like, like, dude, like, like I was getting, I was getting more Mac Jones. I was getting more Jacoby Brissett than I was getting Kirk Cousins Viking stacks from a projection standpoint. What even Jan, even if I did Cousins plus one of Jefferson or Thielen and just make it a skinny. And like these lineups were, would project like 10 points lower than other lineups. Like just and with the same ownership. So it's like, why, why am I playing these lineups? So like in, in, the, in a, something like the power sweep or whatever, yes, the decision on, can you make up those 10 points is all dependent on how owned Madison is. So if we, if we believe, if I say, I believe his efficient ownership is between 60 and 65%, that means Madison, in order, if, if it's not leverage on the 60 to 65%, if you play him at 60 to 65%, which means that the 10 points of projection that you're making up doesn't exist. The only way you can start making up that 10 point projection gap is when Madison goes over owned. So once he gets up to 70, once he gets up to 75 and you're playing something negatively correlated to that completely, you need that to happen. So you first, the first thing that you have to think of when you think of leverage plays, okay, with our leverage stacks, whatever you want to call it. Leverage plays meaning Play, uh, someone that is negatively correlated to a high-owned player, it's not the high-owned player. It has to be an over-owned player. So you first, before you think about leverage stuff, you have to go, what is the efficient ownership of this player? Okay, even if even if you're guessing, right? Oh, I don't know how to calculate that number. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't exactly calculate that number either, right? 
I'm running lineups and seeing where they show up and whatever. It's like, like I can't not get Madison in lineups or whatever. But then I'm looking at some non-Madison lineups that are like four point different in projection. I'm like, okay, it's more viable not to play them also, but it's still like, you're probably playing a lot of them. And I figured guesstimated around 60% efficiently owned. And I, that's about what I played him at. Right. I didn't, I thought he would end up coming in at like, 40, 45, depending on the contest that you're playing. I but in all my single entry three max, I played him in all my, I just played him, I just, by default, 90 minutes before lock, he's more likely to be under-owned than over-owned. So why am I leveraging anything? I mean, if it's more like, if we knew Madison, if Cook was out on Thursday, I think that's a much, James, you would think it's a much different story. We wouldn't see this, you know, this Wildcat ownership at 63%, may have been, if we knew on Thursday, would have been like 70 to 75%. And in the play action, it wouldn't have been 23%. It would have been 40. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think it would have raised much in the higher stakes because I think higher stakes is a, a lot sharper on on where he needs to be. Uh, but lower stakes, like absolutely. We we see him in the in the 45 to 50% range. I, I had him project 35%, um, but like 35% is across everything, right? So uh, yeah, he if if it comes out Thursday, he's definitely way, way, way higher owned. And you know, the the things that come out later, I, I still think that it's we we've seen kind of like on either side of it where guys are either way over owned or way under owned, but typically we're we're seeing them under owned for sure. Right. So that's why I jam typically the late news I jam. Mm-hmm. If it's late, if if it's that late, I'm you know, whatever. I probably should have jammed higher. Right, I probably I probably should have had less Brandon Cooks and Jacoby Myers. You overprojecting them? It wasn't me. I'm not projecting anything. I'm not the one doing it. <laughs> I'm aggregating. <laughs> okay, James PayDirtDFS.com. If you if you want if you if you want to get James's projections, <laughs> you're smart. That, uh, that obviously of uh, Cortland Sutton <laughs> somehow for twenty points got twenty eight. I mean, it, 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 it was fit. I mean, in that, in that, in that year projection, he would be a cat. I mean, he would be a cash lock at that projection. Uh, no, he wouldn't have because of the way that I play cash. Well, you don't, all oh, right. Cause you don't play cash. But if I had, I used your, it would, it, it would have been, he, the, the, he would have been over Waddle or Chenault or Higgins in that range. And look what, it, look what it would have gotten you. Right. Cause it's all about the results, not the problem. <laughs> But paydirtdfs.com, that's where you could get the uh, James's stuff. Uh, or uh, we teach all this type of things. When we're talking about leverage and relative value, this is all in our course, right? The theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. It applies to any sport. So like, this is not just for NFL. So you get here, it's like, it's 15 hours long. It's like going to a seminar in your pocket. You can listen to it multiple, most people listen to it multiple times. And this is, this is how you play DFS. It's not, it's, it, there's no complex mathematical formulas in here. Uh, although you can, you, I mean, you can make them complex mathematical formulas, but these are the concepts that professional players use to win at DFS. Cash games, uh, GPPs, anything. It's, it is the game theory of daily fantasy sports. So pick that up, theoryofdfs.com. James, next week we only have a 10-game slate. So I'm there's there's less there's less players for you to to 
weirdly project for I think that's gonna be the running joke now that has to after OBJ last week no yeah we got to keep going we, we gotta I, I didn't, think, I didn't think there would be one I didn't think there would be one but when you're like you had a ton of Cortland Sutton I'm yeah like, okay. yeah no I thought, I mean, he, was gonna, I thought he was good play for his ownership and you're like nope nope I I didn't mind him projected over Jerry Rice you know like it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah we're gonna find one every week it's probably gonna be a wide receiver most weeks I don't think it's gonna be a running back because I'm pretty conservative with running back stuff but who knows? I, we'll, we'll find one. We're going to find one next week where it's like, why did James project this guy? Like Zach Pascal, 27 point projection. <laughs> you, know you didn't have it, right? <laughs> and then you, uh, you over projected uh, uh, somebody. That's it. What you go by, by two points, not by six. <laughs> okay. So uh, James is found the pay dirt underscore DFS. I'm at blender HD. I'll be back. I'll be back on later today. Later, 7.30 Eastern time for the, the showdown pre-lock show with uh, Chief Justice Will Priester. Uh, and I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, going, go, probably going over that slate and other stuff, answering your DFS strategy questions, as I always do here, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. 